0: rev it up and welcome to cars yeah show number 1523
1: if you treat people right along the way and um, appreciate them and value them for what you what you do they repay you over and over again
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up and very excited to introduce you today. A very special guest calling in from across the pond in the United Kingdom, John Saltonstall. John Saltonstall grew up near Donington Park, where he witnessed his first motor race at the young age of 12 after winning tickets in a local newspaper competition. Already fascinated by the sport and its history, he obsessively pursued his interest while following a career in banking. His admiration for the great racer Nicky Lauda led him to embark on writing his first book titled Nicky Lauda, his competition history, and after nine years in 2019, he completed it only a matter of weeks before we lost that great racer. The book covers Nicky Lauder's career that spans 16 seasons, 18 years competing in a very wide variety of cars and categories. It's over 374 pages with over 500 delicious photographs, many of which have not been published before. This book is a remarkable visual history of his racing career, and guess what? One lucky subscriber here at Carsia yeah is going to win a copy of this book. Compliments to the publisher and John, so we thank them for that. Just go to the Carsia yeah website, click on the free book button. I'll send you my free filler-up book and your name will be in the hat to win a copy. I've got my copy and I'll tell you this thing is really cool. We'll be back in a minute to talk with John, but first, a valuable word from our valuable sponsors that make Carsia yeah possible. We'll be right back. Hey Carsia, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft Seat Covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft Seat Covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, a Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you a Cars Yeah subscriber? If you're not, go to com. click on the free book button, and I'll send you my free filler up book. It's a very cool book I created of fuel filler fun, some very cool imagery, and great quotes from past guests here on Cars Yeah. Plus, you'll get my weekly email follow-up and my weekly blog. Just go to carsyad.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send it to you right away. Thanks for subscribing. All right, John, we are back. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I am indeed, Mark. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk
0: to me. Oh, absolutely. This is fantastic. You know, I love Nikki Lauda. I love Formula One Racing. I love Ferrari. I mean, all these things came together, and I got so excited when your your very kind publisher sent me a copy of this book. I always start by asking my guests a question of telling us a little bit about yourself that most people don't know. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you, what's something that you uncovered when you were writing this book about Nikki Lauda that really surprised you? Something that you didn't know about the race?
1: I was constantly finding there were little bits of races that he did that he doesn't even talk about himself. That kind of surprised me more than anything. The, the one that probably surprised me the most was that his, um, His very first race that he did in a single-seater car, he had been pestering a chap called Kurt Bergman who uh, ran a Formula V team over uh, over in Austria. Up until this point, Nicky had been racing on hill climbs and uh, on airfields in saloon cars, and he'd been trying to get himself a drive in the single-seater and eventually kurt bergman relented and said yes I'll, you you can have a go but it's not it's not local this um, drive is going to be at a place called kimala which is in finland um, and the reason that Nikki got the got the chance to drive was that the the chap who drove the the race car transporter was on holiday so bergman said to him you can you can have a race if you drive the transporter up to <laughs> kimala and bring it back in one piece. And if you do that, you can have a drive. So that's exactly what happened. Nikki drove a drove a three car uh, transporter, dr- towing a trailer, from uh, from Vienna to uh, to Helsinki, which included crossing the Baltic on a, a ferry. A ferry? Oh wow! Absolutely. Did very well in the race. Uh, came fourth. You know, didn't make any mistakes. Didn't crash the thing and brought it all back in one piece. But the thing that was bizarre about that, you know, his first race in a single seater he doesn't talk about it in his own autobiography. He doesn't mention it. He, d- he draws no attention to it at all. It's almost like he's completely ignoring it. And there's about 14 races that he ignores in his autobiography. So in, in, in terms of surprise, yeah, that was pretty surprising.
0: Yeah, that's very cool to uncover that. You know, that must have raised your eyebrow a bit. How about something that most people don't know about you, John?
1: Well, for a long while, nobody knew I was writing this. Uh, you know, my, <laughs> yeah. my 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 day job is I, I work for a bank, and um, it came as quite a surprise when people saw saw this published. Most of the people who know me in the motorsport world don't know that I spend another part of my life uh, playing uh, rhythm guitar in a, in a in a big band. Different dimensions in my life, in different boxes.
0: Yeah, very cool. I love it. Well, let's start with a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's important in your life. Uh, it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars, yeah. So, John, grab the wheel.
1: Uh, one of the first things that was said to me when I first uh, first started work was uh, somebody said to me, "Be good to the people you meet on the way up because you'll probably meet them back at, uh, on the way back down." On the again. way down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's Gene good. Said not necessarily in terms of being the guy who's going to go back down again, but more from the point of view of it's the everyday guys that keep everything moving, isn't it? It's not necessarily the leaders that that make the achievements. It's it's the guys who are doing the graft. And I've tried to live with that in both my professional life and in the, in the life of researching this, that if you treat people right along the way and um, appreciate them and value them for what you, what you do, they repay you over and over again.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I ran a company for years where we had nearly 100 employees. And we called them, as I like to call them associates, not employees, fellow workers, people that I worked with. And I always was reminded of that. I think my dad taught me that. But you know, what we're going through right now with what's happening in the world you see things like the heroes are the people, the the responders, the doctors, the nurses, the people that deliver foods to our stores, uh, that while the rest of us might be quarantined away, they're out there working so that we can eat every day. These are the champions of the world in many respects. So treat them with respect, treat them with kindness, and I think the world could always use a little bit more kindness in every day, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a saying that's going around at the moment, isn't it? That in a world where you can be anything, be kind.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's talk a lot more about this book because I was so excited to get this book on my desk. It's absolutely marvelous. This thing is huge. It's it's a very large book. It's I, I hate the word coffee table because sometimes those are books that don't have pretty pictures, but maybe they're not as important. I would call this a coffee table book only in the respect that it's full of incredibly cool historic pictures, many I've never seen before, and I've got thousands of automotive books. But more importantly, it takes you through his life and the kinds of cars he drove and the diversity of cars. So tell us what has you excited about this book. Again, the title is Nikki Lauda, His Competition History.
1: I guess what it, what excited me in the, in the first instance was because I'd been aware for years that he had a huge variety of machinery that he'd driven, but most of it was not well-documented and certainly not well-photographed. So to actually try and try and establish where you could find the images of of, of, particularly of the stuff from his very early career you know it's it's easy with any driver who's famous to pick them up at a point where they're they're well known and see what's going on in their career then but to pick them up at a point where they're an unknown and where you know the people who are watching don't know if they're going to make it if they're going to be a success you're reliant on chance really on somebody actually writing something somebody taking notice somebody taking a photograph it was slightly easier i guess with nikki because when he started hill climbing he was successful right from the get-go you know he was second in his first race and first in the next four so he, he got a, a bit of attention around him early on you know there weren't a lot of people who were going and taking photographs of um, porsche's racing on airfields in austria in 1968 to, to actually do the forensic work to discover those that's what that's what gives you the buzz that's what that's where the fun comes in
0: yeah, it must have been fascinating. Now, I know that you followed Nikki early in his career, or actually when you were young in your career and so forth. But when did you finally make that decision? Because, I mean, you worked in banking. You're, you know, removed from authoring a book and working in the automotive field. You certainly have a passion for it. But, but what was that moment when you said, you know what, I'm going to write a book? I mean, that's a pretty daunting thing to take on. A lot of people think they might write a book, but writing a book is a whole different thing.
1: The writing itself, because my day job involves me writing a lot of reports and uh, analyses and things like that, writing comes relatively easy to me. So I, I and I enjoy the process of it. But I've always been a, a collector of things. Uh, yeah, I used to co- collect vinyl records back in the day. I collect all sorts of things. Um, collecting information and images and statistics it sort of forms part of that sort of hoarder side of my personality. Um, So I originally started pulling the information, the photographs together for this, not because I was intending to write a book, but because I was actually making models. Um, I made a bad. Well, I set out with the goal of making a model of every car that Nicky ever raced, and that oh my gosh, grew, wow. grew and grew and grew, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ended up building about one hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy individual little one forty third scale models. Oh my um, gosh, most of which were sort of hand built. But by by doing this, it, you know, it was dawning on me that I got a, a huge. Archive of, of photographic material that I could pin the stories to. I was um, very taken with a book that was written a few years ago um, by a chap called Doug Nye, who actually was He's kind been of, a guest the on preface. my show. Yeah. You'll he, he, know Doug. Uh, and yep. wrote the preface of the book, bless him. Uh, yes. Doug wrote a few years ago, wrote a book called um, My Cars, My Career, jointly with Sterling Moss. And I was very taken by the concept of doing that. But rather than sort of do it as a car by car thing, I'm going to try and do it as a race by race thing. And there've been a couple of other books. There's a Senna book and there's another Moss book that have been done this way, but they are the exception rather than the rule. If I can get to the point where I can write an account of what happened to Nicky in each of his races and illustrate that with a photograph that not not only shows the car but shows the environment in which it raced and what the times and the conditions were like then that might be quite an interesting thing that I would like to read. So I set out to write the book that I wanted to read because it didn't exist. Then the more I got into that process, it became about doing as comprehensive a job as possible, making you know, that sort of complete or finisher or side of me and making sure that I didn't miss anything out. And then doing it as, as well as I possibly could, because, you know, sort of doing the best job I can with anything is kind of important to me. That then took an awfully long Period of time, you know, it took about nine years from start to finish, really, from collecting the photos it's to get to a the
0: point. Huge bottom. amount of time, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you ever get to a point where you thought, "Am I going to ever get this thing done?"
1: Yeah, um, you, you did think that from time to time, there's, there were certainly times where he thought, "I am never going to find a photograph of this." There, he did um, 316 races, and we found photographs for 311 of them, which is. Wow, pretty, pretty good going. And we and of the five that we haven't got photos, we know that there are no photos of one of them because it, it, it actually took place behind closed doors and was as a private race. So um, it's about as thorough as it's humanly possible to get.
0: I think so. I think so. What was your favorite thing about writing this book? Uh,
1: yeah, it was those Eureka moments. It was it was finding that thing that you didn't know about. It was a bit obscure that he'd, he'd raced in a Formula Pacific, you know, which is a bit like Formula Atlantic um, uh, support racing. Nineteen eighty four, after he'd won his world championship, he was supposed to be on a holiday in Australia, but he was racing in a Formula Pacific show race around there. That, I knew that a bit, but I didn't know that the day before that he'd um, he'd, he'd, he'd driven it in a race in a Nissan saloon car you know, a little five-lap thing, didn't know that at all and just found it entirely by chance. But then being able to sort of find that, then find somebody who'd take the film of it, because there were no accounts on it, so you find the film of it and actually watch the film and create your own account of it. So it's the little things like that that were, were unknown, or where you can find, you know, I mentioned earlier on about that, that first single-seater race in Kimola, where you find a photograph of him in the car going out of the paddock, to practice for the very first time in a single seater that nobody's ever seen before. because you know, that photograph came from a school friend who'd happened to go with him on the trip. It's things wow. like that where the, um, you know, they're the they're the gold nuggets really that make it all.
0: really Oh worthwhile. yeah, yeah, panning for gold for sure. Well, let's talk about your life, and it could relate to this book, which would be fine. A big challenge that you face, or maybe even a failure that you face. I want you to walk us through that, but more importantly. What was the learning lesson from it? Because that's the value of having challenges in our lives or, or facing failures. And how did that experience help you uh, gain even more momentum moving forward in your life in your career or on the book?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, isn't it? Because I guess we all, you know, we all learn more from the things that we get wrong than we do from the things that we get right. It's something that's been, you know, I've been pondering since, uh, you know, since we since we originally spoke about doing this and thinking. what what have i got wrong what you know what have i got wrong and i I suppose in many ways part of the learning in my in my my career has been more around because as a banker i'm a lending banker so i I lend money to commercial businesses to to help them to grow and develop and these days i think all of that is done towards healthcare businesses but sort of in the early days of uh, of doing that i learned more by lending money to people and losing it or lending money to people and um, oh wow! You know, Getting get yeah. it wrong than you did by the ones that go right because the ones that go right you don't tend to hear about the ones that go wrong you you hear about it. you know we're yeah. not talking we you know you're not talking stupid amounts of money but you t- you take it quite personally when you do something like that it's the company's money and if you get it wrong you you kind of take it pretty seriously and you you, well, of you course. become quite forensically yeah uh, go back and think okay how could I have done that differently
0: yeah you know I'll tell you um, I found a quote by Nicki Lauder you may have uncovered this. And this is what he said about that subject. He said, from success, you learn absolutely nothing. From failure and setback, conclusions can be drawn. That goes for your private life as well as your career. Interesting quote from him. I'm not sure I agree that you don't learn from success because you learn how to do things successfully. But I think he's he's sharing the fact or the concept of what I'm trying to get to here that These challenges we face and failures teach us valuable lessons. And many times, like with you, and I've loaned money to say friends that I thought I was going to get back. I never got it back. I've learned a new rule that when a friend asks for money, I need to decide: am I willing to give this to him, or have to say no? Uh, Because too many times I don't ever see it again. So all you listeners, don't call me for money because I'm going to tell you no. Okay, but uh, (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, is that what you? Uh, do you like that quote from Nicky? Have you heard that before from him?
1: He had a very pragmatic approach to life, did Nicky, and he was very um, analytical about how what was within his control and what wasn't. And he could accept things that were. He could accept a mistake that he had made if he understood why he had made it. One of the biggest things that uh, I think that made it possible for him to come back from his accident was that he'd he knew immediately that the crash wasn't his fault. It was because of a car breakage. Now, he said later that if he thought he'd crashed because he made a mistake and had done something wrong, it might have really informed his decision about whether he came back. But because he knew it was due to a car failure that was not his problem, he could compartmentalize that. And then he could quite easily go back into the environment that had practically killed him because it knew it wasn't his fault. And he accepted the risk that, you know, a breakage on the car could kill him. I don't think he could accept the risk that he could kill himself by making a mistake.
0: Right. You know, I understand that. I raced vintage cars, and I had an incident where a wheel nut was not tightened. It wasn't one that I was doing. It was someone helping me. Uh, I learned a good lesson there. Always check your own torques. But it came off at an inappropriate time on the track. Uh, I crashed, and it kind of shook me up a little bit because, you know, I had little kids at the time, and I was responsible for raising my wife, my business. And I kind of thought, maybe I shouldn't do this. And a fellow racer gave me the same analogy. He said, well, look, when you drive your car to work every day, what's to say that a part doesn't break on the car and it pulls the car into oncoming traffic and you die? Are you going to stop driving your car to work every day? And when he put it in that perspective, I went, well, no. And he said, so why would you stop racing? It wasn't your fault. Someone else didn't tighten that lug nut. So next time you... Check the torques before you go out. That's a new rule. Put it on your checklist, but don't let it stop you from racing. For goodness' sake, same kind of thing. So I'm I'm happy to hear that he was able to do that. I wasn't until somebody gave me the idea. Uh, thankfully, they did, and I continued racing. But uh, it's an interesting concept. So it's it's the same of trust, don't you think? Uh, when we drive down a road, we have trust that that car coming at, at us is not going to swerve into us and hit us. Therefore, we continue with our lives and go out. We're not afraid. I,
1: yeah, right? I, I, would, I would agree. And I, th- I think that, you know, even if you're a fatalist about these things, the odds are always in your favor, aren't they? You know, if somebody yeah. says to you, oh, crikey, you know, you've got a one in three chance of ha- this thing happening to you. You think, yeah. that's great. I've got a two in three chance of it not happening to me. Uh,
0: not happening. Yeah. That, <laughs> so it's know, the only it, way we can go through life. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Quite right. With a smile on our faces. Well, let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. And we will be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SCM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYEAH and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting, but what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, A Couple's Humorous Journey Through the Confusing World of Finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know. Everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. All right, John, we are back, and I have a bit of an a interesting question for you. I want to know what instigated this passion you have for cars. I know that we had a delightful chat, uh, which is really rare for me, uh, the day before John called in. We talked for, gosh, almost an hour about cars. It's typical car folks getting together. We could talk for days. Is there a pivotal moment, though, in your life when you look back that you knew you were going to be a car guy, even though you're a banker? You yeah. have this passion for cars.
1: As long as I can remember, uh, you know, from being the tiniest child, I, I was always fascinated by cars and anything with, you know, anything with an engine that made a noise and went along. I, I read voraciously as a child. So even at sort of five or six years of age, I was going down to the library with my, my my mother and, you know, getting books about cars. So and very early from that, I became aware that cars raced against each other. And this was just fantastic. The thing that really fueled my passion for motorsport um, was I had um, an uncle, my mum's brother, who uh, he ran the distribution centre for uh, one of the large magazine distributors in the UK when magazines got damaged and were returned to the publishers for, um, for refund, all they did was send back the covers that, you know, because otherwise the volumes were too great. Um, so what, uh, what my uncle used to do was he'd, he'd tear the cover off, uh, off a magazine called Autosport and send the cover back to the publishers and give me the inside of the it magazine. give you
0: the inside that was going <laughs>
1: to go in the trash can. Yeah. Absolutely right. So I, so from a very early age, I was, I was able to immerse myself in reading Autosport every week, which was just full of stories and, pictures it was mainly it was like a you've probably seen it it's a, it's a black and white publication but but the, in the middle of it it always used to have a lovely glossy center spread on it and it was those center spreads that really sort of got me into uh ferrari initially and uh, and nicky latterly when he went to because i you know, saw so, so the saw so this center spread photo of nicky in a 312 b3 in beginning of 1974 and i just thought it was the most beautiful thing i'd ever seen in my life that that was kind of what did it for me being close to to donington park which you said at the head of this uh, chat donington had reopened for racing in the in the middle 1970s it had been requisitioned by the war ministry for years and had been out of circulation but it was bought by a, a a private guy who painstakingly reopened it for racing and that was only about eight to ten miles up the road from where i grew up so having a facility there which it wasn't hosting sort of Formula One, um, it, it didn't host Formula One until the 1990s, but it hast- hosted a lot of international racing, sort of in Formula Two and Formula Three, touring cars, uh, sports sports prototypes and stuff. And next to it had the most fantastic museum, the Donington Collection of single-seater racing cars. Um, you mentioned Doug Nye earlier, and Doug was a consultant to the Donington Collection. But for a while, that was recognized as being the finest collection of single-seater racing cars in the world. Again, the same guy who went the circuit had coll- collected them over, over a number of years. So having that sort of just on the doorstep and you could go up as often as you like, really, and just poke around it, it was just, it was just yeah. a mecca. It really was fantastic.
0: Dream come true. What was your first really special car in your life? First special car in my life actually was a, was a great
1: big two-liter Ford Cortina. Um, I don't know if they, they wouldn't have had the Cortina model over there. It's what was known as the Tornus model in Europe. A great big um, two-liter thing with a twin downdraft Weber carburetor in the in the middle of it. And I was only about 18 or 19 with this thing. I bought it off a, an insurance salesman. So it had, it had done a lot of miles. Um, it was a beast of a car. It used to it both excite me and scared me because it didn't know when to stop accelerating.
0: Well, a two-liter in a lightweight car like that is pretty cool mm. to start with. What year was it? Uh, that would have been late 1970s. It would have been about
1: 1978 or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I figured it was mid late 70s, something like that. Well, they're cool, and of course, the older Ford Cortinas, like Jimmy Clark drove, and uh, those great cars were just beautiful. And you still see some of those on the circuit for vintage racing, and they're just they're lovely cars. Yeah, uh, they don't yeah. don't
1: like keeping all four wheels on the ground when you go around corners. Either. No,
0: no, they weren't really made for that. But people people like Jimmy Clark it certainly uh drive them that's for sure well here's a ve- a very uh introspective question i should say john if you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle what would john be and why
1: i guess there's a difference between what i'd like to be and what i am because i'm probably something
0: very practical and, and um, well that's the idea the question is is how do you perceive yourself yeah
1: yeah I, i'm probably something like a you know an audi saloon really you know, sort of quite reliable but unostentatious, but sort of does what it does rather well. So, um, I, I guess uh, I guess that's probably what I'm most akin to.
0: Yeah, well, you should be. You're a banker. We don't need any, you know, flamboyant, crazy people in our banks. That's for sure. Uh, that would scare us to death. So, uh, uh, even though there may be some that exists out there, well, John, we are entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that Audi saloon throttle. So here we go. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your life successes over the years? Yeah, I mean, I guess in
1: some ways it's one of the things that's uh, informed this project. I am a bit of a, I'm a collector, completer, finisher. So I I like to, I like to finish a job. You know, I don't, I don't like to leave things half done. But I'm a completist within that as well. So if I'm, I don't know, say I was collecting records by an individual, I would want absolutely everything. Um, Yeah. So that that's that's kind of um, okay. Informs the way I am.
0: Well, a guy that has built as many uh, Nikki Lauda. Formula One car models as you have. Yeah, I guess so. Holy cow. I thought I built a lot of models back when I was a kid. How about if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased? Who would that be?
1: This is a question I've come across many times, and I always tend to give the same answer. And it's it's actually Sterling Moss. Not so much because of his variety of machinery that he drove which would be fascinating but because of the way that he went about it this was a guy who had got probably the most highly developed sense of sportsmanship of, uh, of anybody i've ever you know sort of been aware of i mean you'll be familiar you'll be, you'll be familiar with the way that he basically he gave away the 1958 world championship because of um seeing seeing hawthorne restarting his car on the pavement um, and overturning a steward's decision to, uh, to have him disqualified. A guy with that kind of integrity uh, yeah. would be a fascinating conversationalist.
0: I had a, a really nice surprise when I was at Retromobile years ago. Got invited by an auction house to have dinner uh, myself and a, a gentleman I was with. And there was only about eight others. And he said, it's going to be a small party. We got a special private room above this little restaurant on this little side street in Paris, and so we walked there, and guess who walked in the room to dine with us? Sir Sterling Moss and Lady Susie, and I just about fell off my chair. I'm like, whoa, and I got to sit between those two, and if you've ever been with those two, they like to banter back and forth with each other, and it was one of those nights where you just keep going, how did I get here? How Mm -hmm. did... and you want to ask questions, but you don't want to be a, a weirdo mm. and ask the wrong questions and be cool, you know. Mm. And the worst part was I didn't bring my cell phone. I have no pictures of the evening oh, at no. all, but I do ha- have my memories, and that was absolutely delightful. So and uh, they, yeah, and
1: yeah. they'll stay with you forever.
0: Of course, you're, of course. you're a lucky
1: man. You're. A it was very,
0: man. very, very fortunate. How about the best automotive advice you've ever received from someone else?
1: The guy who used to mend my cars for me when I was a kid always used to say to me, always remember cars are a liability, not an asset.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, gr- wise words from a banker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people talk about investments. Now, if you're you're buying collector cars and that's your living, or if you're fortunate enough to buy a collector car that goes up in value, you can speak differently. But uh, yeah, I keep trying to tell my kids that. I said, you know, this is not an asset, this vehicle you're buying. This is a liability in many, many ways. So. Uh, Treat it as such, you know, buy a used car that has depreciation uh, so that you uh, don't watch that money evaporate right yeah. before your eyes. So, <laughs> And
1: you'll continue spending money on it all its life.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even when it's parked like my cars, because I don't seem, seem to drive as much as I used to. I work from home. I still have to pay for insurance for them to sit out there in my garage. So uh, if that reminds me, in fact, I've got to call and talk to my insurance company about that. How about a great resource? Is there one in particular you'd like to share?
1: In some ways, that's a toughie because uh, there've been so many that have been so helpful in in this. Um, the one that's probably been the most valuable, not just so much as a resource, because it's a community of people, is um, is the Autosport Nostalgia Forum, which is um, a community of. Enthusiasts and historians who are very very well informed and have access to extensive archives. So I'll call it that rather than one of the individual archives. But yeah, that has been a fantastic resource. And uh,
0: sounds like it for sure. I always like to ask my guests about a favorite book they've read to share. Now, obviously, we're going to share today, uh, Nicky Lauda, his competition history by my guest John Saltinstall. But is there another book that you might recommend that you've really enjoyed reading?
1: the one that i've just finished reading is um is the is the wonderful biography of jim clark that was written by uh, david tremaine you'll be aware of david he's a very very fine journalist and a very fine writer his his book on clark is is it's one of those ones that you know you you read that you go through it and you think right nobody ever needs to do another book about clark because this this is it this is the this is the definitive masterpiece on it and that is the one that's just lit my candle recently
0: Absolutely. Great. Well, I'll make sure that we put all these resources on John's very own Cars show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in the search bar John, J-O-N. His last name is spelled S-A-L-T-I-N-S-T-A-L-L, and you'll find that there. All right, John, we're up to the checkered flag in this last question. It can be a bit of a doozy for people. I'm going to buy you a very cool collector card, just for being my guest here on Cars But there are some rules since I have to write this check. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. I want you to drive it, so no garage queens allowed around here. Uh, but it's the only one cool collector car you can have in your garage. So what can I buy you today?
1: Well, the car that I have loved and adored ever since the day that I saw it, and they're now astronomically expensive, Um Uh, Uh (laughs) (laughs) I'll apologize in advance, but I have, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to stand up close and personal to it, but never get anywhere near touching it is uh, a Ferrari 250 GTO. They're just
0: Uh, the
1: epitome of of automotive beauty to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I do a a second podcast with Keith Martin. I mentioned Sports Car Market Magazine called Buy, Sell, Hold. We just interviewed a gentleman whose show is going to be going up in the summertime here named John Shirley. I've known John for 25 years since I moved here to the Pacific Northwest. He has a Ferrari GTO. I've gotten to get a ride in that car. Uh sat in that car, spent many hours around that car photographing it, playing with it and all that kind of stuff. So, I know he won't let it go though, and he doesn't probably need the money, so I'm going to have to go find one somewhere else. But what's curious about the car uh, is it's white, which I think it's the only white GTO that exists right now. Um it was one of the I think it was a car It was that color back originally, or maybe John likes real true history into his cars. but the great thing about John Shirley is he drives his cars he uses, and that car's been all over the world it 's been in concour events it 's been on roads all over the world uh it's been used but uh, i 'll give John a call, maybe he can help me track one down. I think there's only what twenty two left or something like that there's no <laughs> twenty man. not many i had the the incredible joy of being at Laguna Seca the year that Ferrari was the mark and I watched 22-23 GTOs race together on the track and it was a sight that it was almost well it was surreal it was just like oh my gosh all these GTOs going around the track for 15-20 laps whatever they did you didn't want it to ever end it was just so marvelous but well, you picked like the most expensive car on the planet, so
1: yeah, it, it, they, it wasn't it wasn't intentional. I mean, it, on, on my shelf up behind me here, I've got a uh-huh. a, a lovely CMC one eighteenth model of uh, of one. Oh, yeah. lo- lo- looking at me right now.
0: I've but, got uh, that same model. Yeah, the CMC they make some great models. That company, that's for sure, very cool. Well, John, you've taken us on a wonderful ride today, uh, taking us on a ride into Nikki Lauda's life. Must have been a joy writing this book. Congratulations to write a book of this caliber for your first book. Uh, My hat's off to you, sir. I mean, you did an absolutely marvelous job. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in your very own Ferrari 250 GTO?
1: Of the very small size, so, yeah. My, my last boss had a, had a mantra that he used to live, live by, uh, which I think was a good way of uh, dealing with the little trip-ups that life gives you from time to time. And he always used to say, form is temporary, class is permanent. And I thought that was a nice way of approaching
0: it. I like that. That's the first time I've heard that quote. That's very good. I'm definitely going to write that down. Well, again, listeners, you can get your own copy of this. I'll make sure I put a link to it on John's show notes page. If you would like to win a copy, if you're going to be one of the lucky people, go to carshow.com, type in or click on the free book button on my website. Your name will go into the hat and we'll be giving a copy away compliment to John and his publishers. John, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your life with us today. This has been a delight. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure.
0: You're Welcome. Hey, Cars Yow listeners, this is Mark Green. If you love the Cars Yow podcast, I have something new for you. I've teamed up with Keith Martin, a collector car market expert and the editor of Sports Car Market Magazine, to create the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast. Buy, Sell, Hold is the essence of collecting. Together, we take you on an educational ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so you know when to buy, sell, hold. We talk with seasoned experts, who buy, sell, and hold investment vehicles, and they'll share their insider secrets on how they make their buying decisions when it comes to making these important investments. You'll find the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast on the Cars yeah! website, on the Sports Car Market website, and if you're a podcast app subscriber to Cars yeah!, Buy, Sell, Hold will come right to your mobile device, just like the Cars yeah! podcast, automatically. Join Keith Martin and me on a great new venture on the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast today.